the deeper I went into it, though, the more I had to grapple with the idea that if I actually really believe that if the only way, the reason I'm going to heaven, the only way for somebody to go to heaven is to be a born-again Christian. And that meant essentially everyone I love is going to hell. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to I've Been Better. I'm your host, Susan Youngstead, and we are continuing season seven. And I'm so excited for today's guest and excited to bring y'all this interesting story about um, an individual in my life that's become much closer to myself over the last year or so. But before we get into that, for any new listeners, want to let you know that I've Been Better is a storytelling podcast where we share real stories in real time from real people. We are, you know, looking for some people that would like to be on the podcast here locally in the area. And if you are familiar with myself or with my partner, Josh, or maybe your friend's been on the podcast and you've heard about us and you would like to sit down and chit chat, you know, let us know. We will reach out to you or vice versa. And we're just really excited to keep this podcast going. As always, please remember to follow us on social media and to rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So for today's episode, I am excited to bring you all a fellow LCSW and colleague of mine in the clinical social work field. And this is my good friend and fellow member from DPC as well, which we've talked about over the last few episodes. Welcome, Kayleen. Thank you. Yes. Hi, Hi Kayleen. Um, so to tell you all a little bit about Kayleen. So Kayleen Shepard, as I said before, is a clinical social worker and works as a therapist. She's a colleague of mine. She has her master's of social work from Wayne State University in Detroit and is originally from Bay City, Michigan. Did Michigan win the Ohio State Michigan oh, yes. game? Okay, that was a dumb question. <laughs> she loves to travel and has done traveling, I apologize, solo traveling in Africa, Europe, Asia, and Australia, which I think is so honorable and insane. I don't know that I could ever do that. For fun, Kayleen enjoys podcasts, reading, stand-up comedy, and hiking. And if this tells you anything about Kayleen, her Instagram feed is mostly filled with drag queens, cats, and progressive politics. Welcome, Kayleen. Thank you. Yes, we're so glad to have you. Um, I was, before you got here, Josh and I were talking and I was like, yeah, Kayleen has two cats too. And they're named after Harry Potter characters. And he was like, who, Ron? Dumbledore. (laughs) Hermione and I was like no cooler ones than that and way I was, cooler I was like I know one is Lupin and for some reason I'm blanking on the second one so Lupin and Tonks which perfect right perfect. are they siblings your cats it's we're not sure because they were found together very bonded yeah. they look they look di- so different to me that it's hard to see them well, as siblings, I feel like but... cats too like there could all be different colors in the litter and you're like I don't understand mm-hmm. how cat genetics work yeah. but apparently you're all related i mean lupin is twice the size of tonks oh wow so. okay <laughs> tonks was either the run yeah or lupin just took tonks and took care of we, of them we joke a lot that uh tonks is more of a squirrel than a cat <laughs> <laughs> i love that our dog would love that she would eat her but she would love that Tonks is a, is a huntress. Yes. She, she can hold her own. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Great. I love that. Uh, so as we had mentioned, Kayleen and I are colleagues together. So Kayleen works as a therapist. And honestly, oh, Kayleen is someone that I go to often for therapeutic consultations or advice. You know, she's someone I look up to quite a bit in this field. And we are also both members of the Dead Parents Club. Both of our fathers are deceased. And that's, so that's something that we also connect upon. But Kayleen, tell us a little bit more about yourself. 
Yeah, sure. I grew up in Bay City and I'm the oldest of three. Yes. And I'm very oldest child. When you're the only girl, right? And I'm the only girl. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, went to school at Grand Valley State for undergrad, which is in the west side of Michigan. Um, and did a lot of like working and traveling before I went to grad school, but it was in those interim years that I realized I wanted to be a therapist. Yeah. And a lot of my work experiences before led me to pursuing clinical social work, but I think there's also this, I wanted to be, I realized that I really could have used a therapist through several different phases of my life. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, there wasn't as much openness as going to therapy. And I remember being even resistant to the idea of going to therapy in my early adulthood because oh, yeah. it that means something's wrong well, with me. Well, the stigma, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think well, I'll have some clients sometimes, right, that'll be like, I don't show why I like my mom or my whoever in my family, right? Like, they should just go to therapy. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And literally 10 years ago, the stigma was even more profound yes. than it is now, which I think we all acknowledge, but like that's a short amount of time to like make this drastic change of wrapping your head around what it means to go to therapy, particularly for that older generation. It was so ingrained into them that, right, you have to have something quote unquote wrong with you mm-hmm. to seek out this profession. Right. I remember having to justify to somebody, they were like, therapy doesn't work or like that stuff's like for xyz and i was like look i would not have an entire profession and like have paid thousands and thousands of dollars to go get this degree if it didn't actually do something right yeah it's like please fucking go to therapy yeah i think too when i was you know when i was 2021 and i was having such an existential crisis that i really didn't trust that anybody, even oh, a mental yeah. health professional, would really understand enough. Uh, and now at this point, I've connected with so many people and so many communities of people who have had similar experiences to, like, I guess, to put it simply, losing your religion, that I, I now don't see it as, I don't feel as alone in it as mm-hmm. I did at the time. It's not such an isolated occurrence that happened for you yes yeah before we dive into some of that too which i know we're going to focus on today tell us a little bit about these solo travels that you did internationally i think that's what how did you do that what was the purpose oh there's several different occasions i think my my first time traveling internationally i was 18 and i went on a mission trip with a with a church and it was my first time being out of the country, but also I didn't leave Michigan very often before that point. And the idea of just being outside of what I knew was so appealing to me and to learn so much about, you know, different people, different communities, Mm -hmm. different cultures was really neat. And so that kind of planted that seed. And I studied abroad when I was an undergrad and I spent a semester in Cape Coast, Ghana. Okay. And that but that changed my life in so many ways. And uh, in the sense of it really made me confront my identity as yeah. a white person oh, and yeah. as an American. And what does that mean? And things that I never really deeply considered before. Yeah. Did you grow up in a town? You were saying that you had never really left Michigan. Mm-hmm. This, and that's a, that's a large state. But what was your experience with diversity? It's hard to say. I think at the time I would have thought that I went to a very diverse school. Bay City is so small. And so (laughs) uh, there was diversity, but like 
now that I've, you know, spent some time in Metro Detroit, I'm like, oh, I didn't know anyone who was Jewish. I didn't know anyone from the Middle East. I like there was just there's so many (laughs) different cultures of people that I wasn't exposed to. Yep. And that became yeah, that didn't become clear to me until I was exposed to different like until you areas left. of the world. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you I mean you use that that keyword right, mission trip, right? Which I think is just <laughs> so loaded. Mm-hmm. You know, there's those there's those groups of people who, and I'll you know I'll say for myself, I never went on a mission trip. I was not raised very religious, and so I didn't have the opportunity to experience that firsthand. But what I've heard from people, you know, this is a very stereotypical trip where people go to another place on the mission to like serve or spread the word of, of God or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. religion it is with a project yeah. tied into it. And it's, it's voluntourism. It's really, it's, it, I love that. Word. I think it's more about my opinion is that it's more about the people going, like the people going on the mission than it is about the community that's being served. Got it. And I feel like that lines up, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know many people that would argue with you about that unless they really felt very deeply about the work that they did, Sure, you know, but you know, I definitely see that too. There's got to be some self-serving purpose to some of that too, to go. I mean, bringing a bunch of teenagers somewhere that don't really have a lot of real skills, yeah. <laughs> like to be doing construction work and things yeah. like that. Like, it's what? just, it's more about the experience for the teens, um, I think. And there isn't necessarily something in- inherently wrong with that. You are trying to expose young people yeah. to other parts of their world instead of like, like you said, like Bay City, Michigan. Right. Yeah. I think there is value in it to a degree, but I also... I do I do think a lot of religious groups have to reconcile with their history of colonization and reconcile. And we're with back how, again. Like, yeah, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> with how, you know, mission trips and international mission mission trips, how that uh contributes to ongoing colonization. Absolutely. So. Were you raised religious? How did you get into mission trips? It's tricky. I think the re- the t- the sect of Christianity I ended up grabbing onto was different than what I was raised in. Okay. I there was I I went to church on Sundays growing up. Went to Sunday school. We went to a Lutheran church. Okay. That's when helpful. I was uh, when I was nine years old, my dad went to prison and he was gone for over a year, about a year. And during that time, he read the Bible. And so when he came back, he was very passionate. Almost like renewed invigorization of religion. Yeah. Um, So we got baptized when I was 10-ish. And then in middle school, my dad started exploring Catholicism. And then we all went um, through that process to become Catholic. (laughs) So, I mean, did a lot of jumping around. My my parents, uh, you know, were divorced and my mom reacted to that she didn't like that my dad was um trying to um i think in her mind it was force us to become catholic and yeah. so she started taking us to a presbyterian church and y'all were just reaction. like church shopping like okay what religion do we like what yeah. sex do we like and mom's like we're getting far away from catholicism okay <laughs> go this way mom was like no one in our family's catholic what are you doing yeah well i can imagine that's a little i'm gonna use the word scary scary i don't think is the word i want but like alarming maybe for her like you said of like okay mm-hmm. you you had something happen in your life. You you have had this renewed desire to mm-hmm. follow the Lord, whatever your dad would say at that time. Sure. And then he comes out and he's like, okay, kids, like, I'd love you f- to follow this. And mom's like, okay, yeah, like, I can get behind that. Go get him baptized. Like, no big deal. Mm-hmm. But then as you said, like the Catholic church is a whole nother level of involvement. Mm-hmm. And like you get 
is it, I don't think it's called baptized. What is it called in Catholicism? You have first communion, there and you then go. you have a confirmation, there which I go. did two in one. I did it all. You did in one it all. Go. So you've done it all. You're like absolutely going to heaven because you've done everything. I've covered all my bases that you could do. Right, Judaism's like the only one we haven't done. Yeah. Right. Um. So you know, and I do recognize we're leaving out like a hundred other religions. Don't come for me, but. <laughs> You know, I yeah. think that it sounds like, yeah, your mom's like, why are we going to Catholic church? Like, what's happening with this path? I think my mom genuinely thought it was really unfair to, and we were put in a position at that time to, like, decide yeah. which one. Yeah, how old are you? 13. Yeah. 12, 13. Super vulnerable and in- mm-hmm. influential time of your life. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to, like, I really wanted to know God. And so... I went the Catholic route, A, because of I felt like my dad was really genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I just really wanted to impress my dad and make mm-hmm. him proud. And so there was this level of, I, I can handle my mom being disappointed or like frustrated or upset, but I can't handle my dad I totally being disappointed in me yeah. or upset. Mm-hmm. I can imagine many people are shaking their heads with that idea is that there was one caregiver that mm-hmm. you were like, no, I'll deal with the, those repercussions, but this one, mm-hmm. I can't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but fast forward to high school, we were like, we went to church on holidays. It was like, yeah. we we considered ourselves Catholic, but we weren't really practicing meaningfully. Yeah. yeah. And um, faith, religion was, as far as all the things I would identify as being a part of me, it was so low on that list. Like being a friend was higher, being a student, a student athlete was higher. Like those things were more meaningful to me. Being female and feminist was higher. Like <laughs> I love that so uh, much. All those things were like were, fifteen. You're like screw the patriarchy. Basically, I'm like I love it in the Catholic Church. Screw the patriarchy. Right. It didn't. It wasn't. I mean, I it wasn't meaningful for me, and so I ended up. I would say becoming what is what you would call a quote unquote a born again Christian when I was. 16, almost 17, through a Christian camp, a summer camp that a friend invited me to. Wow. And I've never been to like a summer sleepaway camp before. Same. Yeah. Loved it. It was so much fun. I've heard amazing things about them. And I actually, yeah. I somewhat regret never going to a sleepaway camp in my life. I'm really, I mean, that week literally changed my You're life. Like literally <laughs> and figuratively. <laughs> but, and, and I'm, and I'm also really glad I had that experience because it was, um. Yeah, it was it was really wonderful. It was I I had no issue being away from home for a long period of time, and really, I'm somebody who can get very strongly attached to somebody very quickly, and so I would make these like very intense friendships mm-hmm. with the girls in my cabin and tell uh, them all our secrets. Uh, yeah, but, all like, my blood stories, bonding. all my secrets. Yes, yes. Um, and so I I'm at this camp and uh. Aside from all just like the fun and games, you know, there's like worship services and um, different like talks. And in one of them, it was basically explained to me that like being a churchgoer or being a good person has nothing to do with going to heaven. That basically, if you're not a born again Christian, you're going to hell. Whoa. And that to be. That's intense. I just got chills when you said that. Yeah, it is. It is intense. (laughs) And a lot of my life from then on revolves around that specific thing of like, oh, everyone's going to hell. 
That's like fear tactic. Yeah. 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 And it was like, okay, you can say this prayer and understand that the only way to go to heaven is to believe in Jesus. And if unless you do that, you're hellbound. It doesn't matter how good you are, how much good you do in the world. All that's irrelevant. And I was having, I was like, oh, up until then, I had just been like, I'm assuming, like, I'm a good person. I've done all the things. I'm great. It's written on the paper. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't yeah. cheat. I don't steal. Like, I'm a great person. Yeah. Clearly, that's not enough. In like high school or brain, you know, it's like, I do well in school. I'm not doing drugs. I treat my siblings well. I'm not fighting. Okay, that one was out. That's what it was. See, that's what got you. That's what got me. That's my big (laughs) sin. Um, So he has, you know, they have us, you know, they're like, okay, if you want to do this, everyone's heads are bowed and you say this prayer. And then he asked everybody, the preacher, if you've said this prayer, look up. And he like made eye contact with everybody who looked up and said like, so I don't remember specifically, but something like, you are saved. It's like so <laughs> terrifying. I'm like 16, 17. I'd be like, oh, yeah. Oh. I was like, okay. And then we all go to this cabin or back to the cabin and our counselor asks us, um, so did anybody say the prayer? And I raised my hand and I'm fully expecting everyone to raise their hands because I'm like, why would you not do that? Like, why are we here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm the only one to my horror who raises her hand <gasps> because everyone else has done it already. Oh, oh, yeah. okay. So it's not like they weren't going to do it. They were like, no, we they're just, like, yeah, hello. this isn't for us. Yeah. We've done this already. Um, we're already going to heaven. Jeez. Even though I will say it is a common thing for people to get really anxious about, are they truly saved and do the prayer over and over and over oh, yeah. again? Oh, so yeah. that like is a compulsion, a, right? Yes. Yeah. So... I raised my hand, first expecting everyone else to, second, grappling with the fact that it's just me raising my hand over here. And then everyone's reaction is like, everyone's so excited. Everyone you're is saved. jumping up and down. You're safe. Kayleen, you're born again. You're a new person. Oh my gosh. Do you know what this means? Do you know what this means? You're a new person. I am like, and I've never had that, but like, I'm emotional. Like I can only imagine how powerful that was for a 16, 17 year old yes. to like have that experience. Yes. I was like, Oh, I got, I even got a certificate, <laughs> of you? The, which I still have. <laughs> oh my God. I love that so much. <laughs> of the day, of the day I was saved and the day, you know, the, like the, you know, Keelan Shepherd, et cetera, et cetera. <gasps> and, um, yeah, everyone was like, this is a big deal. So when I went home from that camp, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm never going to be the same. I just kept reinforcing yeah, that to I'm myself. I'm a new person. I'm I born again. start over, new chapter, new me. Yeah. And it made <laughs> new me. New year, new me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It made me feel very special too, and uh, and I I came home very motivated to like read the Bible and pray all the time. Um, I eventually find myself my junior year of high school going to a like a church and a youth group, and I'm going like just on my own, my like not with my family. Like I think a lot of people when they go to church, it's a whole family ordeal. Yeah. So I was just going by myself and I loved it. I just ate it. I was just in awe. Like, oh my, I was learning so much and I was asking so many questions all the time because all this stuff was new to me and I was learning how to read the Bible and I was absolutely fascinated and in awe. And I was, it was just a lot of it was a very emotionally exhilarating. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really enjoyed the intensity of that too. It was very rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was, the deeper I went into it, though, the more 
I had to grapple with the idea that if I actually really believe that if the only way, the reason I'm going to heaven, the only way for somebody to go to heaven is to be a born again Christian specifically, then that meant essentially everyone I love is going to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of sussing out my family and asking like a lot of spiritual questions to kind of see like, oh, do they believe this specifically? And then would just be heartbroken when I found out like that my family had very <laughs> progressive <laughs> ideas actually of like, I believe that, you know, people have their own different way of connecting with God. And you're like, no, no, that's not right. No, that was, it was, I was devastated. And at one point, you know, I, I tell my mom, like, we'd really need to have a talk. I, You're like the parent. I'm like, <laughs> mom, you have to believe yes. or, or we're going to go to separate places yes. when we die. And I sit my mom down and I just start explaining to her, like, all the stuff about Jesus. And she's like, Keeling, I grew up going to church. I know this stuff already. <laughs> and then you like, think you're like blowing her mind. Yes. She's like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And at one point, my mom point blank asked me, you know, Kayleen, do you think I'm going to hell? Wow. Well, good on her yeah, for recognizing I that. I agree. Yeah. Good on her. And I was very stunned by the directness of that question. And all I could tell her was yes. Yes. Based I on do. what I know and what I've been taught, you are absolutely going to hell. Yeah. And your mom's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think my mom was just like, it was, a, I, you know, I think it was my own way of rebellion in a way, because you think of rebellion as like a church going <laughs> family and their child just starts like, you know, off the deep end. Right. Yeah. And I'm doing the opposite. I'm like, I'm going to Bible study. And that's my way of rebelling against my family norms. I think that makes so much sense. <laughs> I mean, what did you just say that you laughed because you were like, they actually had pretty progressive views that now it sounds like you're fairly grateful for. I can imagine, you know, mm-hmm. in this this time and who you are now. But back then, that was not how you identified. So that was a rebellion. Right. You know, eventually, fast forward, I, you know, I eventually start the term is the popular term is deconstructing, which means you kind of start um, unlearning a lot and kind of demolishing your worldview and rebuilding it. Yeah. Was there a catalyst for that? Sort of. But I think it was almost a natural progression because from the beginning, I really did ask a lot of questions and I really was curious and I really wanted to know and understand. And there were a lot of things that were presented to me that didn't sit right with me or that I didn't agree with, including the idea that everyone I loved was going to hell. That's difficult Um, to wrap your head around, right? Well, if I believe this and if Jesus mm -hmm. loves me and made all these people, then why would all these people be going to hell? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think one catalyst was this idea that as a born again Christian, I then had this Holy Spirit within me. And I started kind of wondering like, how do I know, like, how do I feel that? Or how do I know that? And am I just having emotional experiences and attributing that to like, I have this Holy Spirit. And I started to really intellectualize and analyze a lot of my own experiences. Mm -hmm. But I also was being told a lot in so many words that like, you have to put your thoughts, your feelings, your opinions against the word of God. And mm-hmm. if your thoughts and opinions and views don't align with that, align with what you're being taught, you have to essentially dismiss and choose 
God because God has the authority. Mm. And uh, there are several points of theology and several views that a lot of the Christian community tend to hold on to that I just fundamentally disagreed with and did not sit right with me at all. Mm -hmm. And I had this thought of like, okay, if I'm really going to like dismiss and set aside my own intuition, my own thoughts, my own opinions on things, uh, I really need to make sure that I can trust the Bible as the authority. So I started by exploring and learning more about how the Bible came to be um, created as a as a book, as a collection of writings. Mm-hmm. And it just snowballed from there. Because you're like, wait a second, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. isn't right. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm in like, I'm in college. I'm in leadership in a Christian ministry. I'm leading Bible studies. Oh, wow. I am evangelizing. I am going on like spring break <laughs> trips. And I am on Panama City Beach going <gasps> up to drunk college oh, students. Oh, my God, it's you. I was one of those people on PCB. I, <laughs> maybe we met. <laughs> you probably tried to talk to me. And I'm like laying on the sand like, please don't talk to me. Please don't. Yeah. Yes. Um, which I actually, I mean... I loved that experience because for me, it was like, I love talking about spiritual things. I love connecting with people, even strangers. And quite frankly, I think I was good at it because I'm not like pushy, believe what I tell you down your throat. I'm actually coming from like a curiosity of like, I want to understand what you think about the world and what you believe Mm -hmm. and just ask questions about it. And my, I didn't think I was ever going to get somebody to like say the prayer like the prayer right right um, then on the right spot. then on, at yeah. the beach but <laughs> be so funny. i just thought if i could just get people to ref- like reflect on these things a little bit more than maybe they do yeah and at least start going in that direction but i i really enjoyed beach evangelism we'll call it <laughs> i freaking love that do you remember do you remember what you would say well we had you know we were very coached and well, of course, yes. We had like kind of a pamphlet, right? <laughs> but it was like, we're taking a survey. Would you like to answer f- five questions on our survey? And then at the end of the survey, it was like, would you like to talk? F- it was an invitation to talk further. Okay. So um, if somebody was like, nope, don't want to talk further. It was like, cool, take this pamphlet. See you later. Um, Great. Like you said, less pushy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and. There were some people that were like really eager to talk and I had some really neat conversations with some just complete strangers. So I found it to be really fun. But imagine your faith unraveling and you're still (laughs) leading Bible studies and going on these mission trips. Right. Yeah. It's like one one day you're Mm -hmm. out there pushing the message and the next day you're like, I don't even know that I believe this message. Yeah. And as it's unraveling within my mind. I felt a lot of guilt and shame. Like, what is wrong with me? I mean, I felt like, oh, I'm on the track right now to leave God, which is like the worst thing you could do. And it filled me with a lot of self-loathing. And I also was having such a hard time as I was wrestling with all these things that I was really miserable to be around, I'm assuming, because mm. I just was, I was crying all the time. I was so depressed because it felt like I was grieving. But I was confused because mm-hmm. I didn't know what to think. 
And I was so anxious because I was also wondering like, oh, am I sending myself to hell essentially? Mm -hmm. And it was a really, really hard year, which I grieve a lot because it should have been one of the best years. Like I was 21. You could junior in college. Junior in college. Yeah. I had great friends who are still really great friends to me. And well, your life was falling apart as you knew it. Mm-hmm. My like who I how I saw myself, how I saw the world. Um, yeah, there wasn't like this big event. It wasn't like something happened that made me really start wrestling. It was just my own brain. Mm-hmm. Just I couldn't. There were a lot of things that I was that earlier in my faith, I was accepting really easily and freely that I couldn't accept as easily and that I was like, I don't know, I'm not sure about that. And then the more I studied, the less sure I felt, the less certain I felt. Um, But this process, like, you know, I really fought for my faith Mm. for years and years and years and there's so much that I do miss about being a Christian and there is so much that I don't miss about it as well but I think one of the things that I do really miss is that I had I felt the certainty about like the world and meaning and death that just kind of now it's like I just don't feel like I have a ground to stand on Mm -hmm. and you know what is the organizing principle now what is my worldview founded on now what guides you now yeah Mm -hmm. I can understand that I think that's well I mean reasonably why people hold on to it so tightly Mm -hmm. Right. It makes total sense. You know, the variety of people that you and I both see, I'm sure we've had these conversations, not just within ourselves, but with clients or with friends where they struggle with either letting go of certain beliefs, because if they let that go, then what does that mean for everything else? But then, like you said, they can't get behind certain theologies or belief systems that exist within an organized man-made thing Mm -hmm. and so they're like well if i give that up what am i going to do i'm just going to free fall through life and like i can't do that i mean i talk to clients all the time about why do conspiracy theories exist right because we as humans who would like to believe we are rational at our core don't like the idea that bad things just happen right so everything has to have a purpose randomness is scary randomness is very scary and so if we can blame it on something now Mm -hmm. that could be aliens i don't care Mm -hmm. but it has to be something Mm -hmm. right and so this is where conspiracy theories come from right and they're fun (laughs) yes right and then religion is not a conspiracy theory but like it organized man-made religion is not that far off from this Mm -hmm. idea that we have created some way for you to have a predictable organized way of living so that when things happen you can understand them Mm -hmm. yeah so to feel like you have an understanding and an organizing there's a safety that you feel with that and even as i um was almost always on the verge of being an emotional wreck probably the whole time i was a i was like a fully one push away (laughs) from just falling over because i'm like because i I don't know how I honestly people who 
identify maybe specifically as born again Christians who really do believe that like this is the only way to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how you can psychologically be at peace with that because I just the believing that part was uh just like torment. It was well, really forces hard. you to distance yourself and disconnect yourself from people you love. Like you mm-hmm. said, I mean, how do you I mean, I can imagine you just replace those people with other people that identify that way. Somewhat. I mean, I've stayed very close, like the friends that I've had growing up and that I've had through high school, I've stayed very close to They continue to be like family to me. And but when I went to college, I was really uh, I really wanted to have friends within a Christian community so that I didn't have to grapple with this. Oh, I'm Mm -hmm. beginning to care about somebody. And now (laughs) I have to deal with the fact that they're going to go to hell. And I have to feel this weight of responsibility because that's another thing that evangelical Christianity teaches is that you have like it is essentially your job and your responsibility to do everything you can to make sure that people learn about Jesus and get the opportunity to make that decision and that you have to represent Jesus and you have to represent Christianity and all these things. And so to have to create a community in college of Christian people was a relief because mm-hmm. I at least didn't have to worry about that. Yep. Um I will say though that like so many of my friends growing up are queer and so it was also I had a lot of insecurity about the fact that I was aligning myself with a group that has a reputation and is historically anti-LGBT. And I had a lot of fear that my friends would push me away Mm -hmm. or that they wouldn't feel safe with me. And that also really, really freaked me out Mm -hmm. and really scared me because if anything, you know, the idea of not being a safe person for them also was devastating. The idea that they wouldn't feel comfortable around me or feel comfortable in who they in who they are around me that that was also really upsetting and yeah. yeah so i think that also added a layer and i've i've asked them like even the most like recent in the last 5 years i've asked them like did you ever feel terrible yeah did i ever make you feel shit did i ever say like a microaggression did i ever say something that like was you know like frustrating or upsetting did did you ever feel unsafe around me and you know we've had those conversations and i've been very relieved to learn um at least through my friends that i've had those conversations with that like throughout it all they really still felt connected to like the core Mm. me and that that never shifted that's great and that gives me a a lot of relief because i would i would have a lot of deep regret if that was the case yeah you know and what with what you're saying too kayleen i i just thought about this but i can imagine that there's some what do i want to say like not not that you were lucky but i guess i'm glad that you were able to have that opportunity to find yourself through this like you said you know born again Christian, but then also this deconstruction, because I can imagine that if you had been doing that now with like what's going on in our world or in our country, that that conversation with your friends who are queer may have looked very, very different. Mm-hmm. And you would have had to make much stronger and firmer choices and boundaries quicker than mm-hmm. like what you were allowed to go through. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? This was like 10 years ago, right? 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so I think now where I see people drawing like very harsh boundaries reasonably so, right? With like, okay, well, if you're going to church and that church says that I'm going to go to hell, how do you love me? Oh, like sure. I see a lot of that happening. And I can imagine that 10 years ago, it just wasn't that strong. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like your friends allowed you to be you and like figure yourself out mm-hmm. and continue to identify with this party of people mm-hmm. and this organization that, like you said, historically has not been very kind mm-hmm. to LGBTQ people. And so I think that that's really you know, nice for you that you were able to do that. And they've said like, no, we've never doubted you. Like you were great. I never felt unsafe around you because I'd be curious of what that would have looked like if that was happening right now. Yeah. I think if that was happening now, I probably would have had made those same boundaries like within myself. Like yeah. I will not go to a church that X, Y, Z. I will not be part of a Oh yeah. I st- I've done that now. Community. Yeah. yeah that, I can't do that. Right. So, and I think I would have, I think I would have evolved to um and like basically i have evolved to oh like my whatever spiritual life i do have can just be something that's very personal to me and it's not about um what does this mean for other people anymore and so this idea of like a project or an agenda with people in my life is just completely gone Mm -hmm. and i think i would have gotten there i hope i would have gotten there it's somehow in the last 10 years and Oh, I feel like it would have played out exactly the same. Yeah. I think I would have been curious about how other people would have responded and if there would have been more push from mm. those other people to make that decision quicker mm-hmm. based, yeah. based on like our sociopolitical climate that we live in now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's actually a really good question. But we have, yeah, we haven't had to explore that. But, you know, I've also never given them a reason to and also because when we're just all together, it's just not a part. It's yeah. just it's just us. I love that. And when you've made it very clear that you love them and support them and care for them, like that's very obvious. There's no hidden agenda. Yeah. yeah. But also there's not this. I mean, some people will do this um, very popular thing of, oh, I love the sinner, but I hate the sin <sighs> and have this kind of like, oh, I love you, but yep. I totally disagree with your entire identity and yeah. your entire way and of your living. your entire way of living. So yeah. hopefully one day you come around, but I'll like love you right. anyway. And that is just like totally absent. Like it's just, it's not the, it's not this like qualifier of I love you, but it's just like, no, I love you full stop. Yep. Like that's it. Um, And I consider myself a very fierce ally of the queer community and I'm just, um, that will never change no matter what I believe spiritually. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I love what you said too about like, there's no longer this um, pressure or the words are leaving me now, but like this agenda to go out and like share the message writing. You said mm-hmm. it's more of a personal thing and it doesn't necessarily have to impact other people. I mean, I think we as, I will only speak for what my limited view is about maybe the more drastic sex of people that we've see, seen in religious like why are you so concerned about these other people going where you're you think you're going mm-hmm. why are you so concerned mm-hmm. about their lives right like j- you were about you over there mm-hmm. not me i'm good if mm-hmm. i if i end up going to hell like okay great we, i just won't be there with you mm-hmm. so like can we just be fine with that right it's so odd to me yeah and i fully understand it and don't agree with it right it's i understand the fear and the anxiety and the feeling of urgency, but also this feel, this belief that, uh, in order to be a good Christian, uh, like I need to be doing these things. Yeah. And well, I, it need- makes total sense mm-hmm. that that's what you were fed. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. 
Yeah. And so I do feel way more relaxed. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and then I can just, and more able to just freely be with people mm-hmm. and, and not have something in the back of my head that is just like analyzing everything or mm-hmm. worrying or, um, if I don't take an opportunity, feeling guilt mm. and mm-hmm. and just, you know, kind of suffocating by the fear yeah. of it all I mean, the time. I mean, we could talk for hours about spiritual guilt, right? And the sure. religious guilt. That's like a whole <laughs> section of therapy Yes, is yeah. how to deal with religious trauma that comes from those feelings of guilt and shame mm-hmm. because of what you've been fed and then the reality of the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are people that identify as Christian who are incredibly progressive mm-hmm. and I feel like really get it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, if I still identified as Christian, then, you know, I, that would, there would be a specific type of way that I would do that. Absolutely. And it would be, per, it would be a very personal thing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I know when, I left, I was attending a local church in our area and I left after a very specific sermon was given and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't anymore. There was these constant conversations around LGBTQ and marriage and the pastor at the time who has since ousted himself as a, if, if you're going to go along with this quote unquote, a very major sin that he was committing the whole time, Mm. you know, pretty typical for large mega churches, I feel like, Mm -hmm. um, I just remember leaving after him talking about gay marriage and how he like would attend a wedding of two parties of the same sex, but he would not marry them. The whole like love the love the sin or hate the sin. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, my best friends are, they would identify as part of this community. Like I can't keep doing this. This is so messed up. And so now I'm a member of a like boots on the ground social justice church that is very much more, uh, founded in the idea of actually living out some of the practices. So we do food drives, we write letters to people in prison, you know, those sorts of things. But the biggest message when we were organizing was that we had to allow people who were LGBTQ and LGBTQ marriage needed to be looked upon as equal as everybody else's. And we, we believe that women can be in positions of power within a church. And like, you know, it was like very required, mm-hmm. I think, to be this like, I won't be a part of this, of a, any organization that like does not feel okay with those things. And I remember leaving a nonprofit, I think like shortly before, it was right before COVID. So it was right after you and I met, it's right after you got down here. And I left a nonprofit because part of what we did we like helped families in the area and we wouldn't work with people who were lgbtq in like Mm -hmm. a certain way and i was like okay like i can't do Mm -hmm. this and i remember being told the same thing like well like remember what the bible says and i was like okay i'm out like this is just i can't wrap my head around this idea anymore so i know Mm -hmm. that that had to be even more powerful for you as a young 2021 22 being like what the fuck am i doing yes yeah I, you know, and through my mid twenties, I continued going to a church and I continued going to a church that was, um, from the pulpit would, I basically disagreed with 90% of what was being said. And there, it was very political, but because I knew some of the people there personally and was close personal friends with them, I kept going. And I, the, for me, I was like, I wanted, them to get exposed from the inside to different viewpoints mm-hmm. and different ways of looking at these things and realizing how dangerous it is when we can get into an echo chamber. And so I was like 
going to Bible studies and being very open about what I thought and like the different, the more progressive views I did have and uh, not really worrying about what they thought. And that was actually by the pastor's wife encouraged and uh, in the sense of, I think she really wanted people to grapple with these things, but not, and I think she really did really want people to feel safe also at her church, even though I eventually couldn't, I eventually couldn't do it anymore. And I've, you know, I would still love to do things like, I would still love to go to a Bible study. I would still love to do those things. There's so much sense of community in those places too. Like, yeah, I think. Also, I think theology is so interesting. Oh, it is too. Yeah. And again, what do we do for a living is try to better understand how people's brains work and why they're thinking what they're thinking. So it is a very, as you're saying, like from the inside out Mm -hmm. perspective, it is kind of cool to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did find a community in Raleigh when I first moved here called All Stories, which was essentially a community of people who either were um, really in a, in a similar position that I was, where it's like, there's no church for me, where I don't really know what I believe, but I also, I still want to engage in in spirituality, and I don't know how else to do it, but through Christianity. Mm-hmm. What's and, the only, like, only is the wrong word. It's just a much more organized method through which yeah. we do that in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also like wanting to connect to more like-minded people, to people who have also, you know, to feel less alone because it. That's all we want. Yeah. That's all anybody wants. And and deconstructing is so lonely because it's like the people who continue to be devout Christians really don't understand. And people who have never been religious also don't understand. And so, you know. To find people who have had really similar experiences was really powerful. I love that. And it's called All Stories, you said? Yeah, yeah. And we would, uh, you know, we would get together when the pandemic started. We'd had theology and snacks and we'd just get together and just talk (laughs) about how our views about things have changed over time and what we think. And sometimes we'd get into these different debates, like really friendly, fun debates about theology. And it was such a fun way to tap back into that side of myself without feeling like I was compromising anything. I don't think I knew that existed. So that's really cool. We'll have to put a link to that. Yeah, we've kind of been on a on a little pause right now. At least that group has. And I, I don't know what the plan is for the future. So I don't even know because I don't think we've met for like a year. So all I hear from that, too, is that maybe if this group doesn't exist, there, there are groups. There are groups. So for people listening that I can imagine very much identify, you know, either with pieces of what you shared, Kayleen, or with, you know, the whole story, you know, I can relate to it. I've heard that before. Like, I have nowhere to go. I have no church. Mm-hmm. What is my church? Right. Like, can I that's I mean, I look at some you know places like um, CrossFit and those types of places sure. to be. Of a similar vein, there are people there and who clearly have one thing that brings you together initially. Mm -hmm. And then I can imagine they have conversations and Mm -hmm. they talk about these things, but there was at least one thing that got you there that was a commonality. Um, And so the the reality is, y'all, that there are groups of people who are like you and who maybe are rethinking how they want to view spirituality and religion and the concepts of heaven and hell. So keep looking. Mm -hmm. You know, these people are out there. You are not alone Mm -hmm. in thinking about this. Yeah. Dead Parents Club has been that for me in a lot of ways of like, you know, losing a parent is a really is an experience that you can feel really alone in mm-hmm. and to connect with people who have also had that experience and ex- and understand things about grief and grieving that to no one's fault, 
other people don't. Yep. And absolutely. You can't until you, until you've been through it. You just can't. And again, they're all from different, like I would imagine that in some ways we all have different beliefs about what happens when somebody dies. So in a way it is very spiritual to have these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I think I find that to be, as I'm still trying to figure out how to, how to tap into my spiritual self or be, or to, what's the word? Like be a spiritual person yeah, <laughs> or to, to practice, to practice any type of spirituality uh-huh. and just connect with myself in that deeper way and connect with something higher than I or beyond me. I'm still wrestling in how to do that. And I've just started to see that just connecting with people, sometimes it does feel like something bigger is happening and that that can be I love that. a type of spiritual practice. And my uh, idea of what is spiritual has really broadened a lot. Mm-hmm. And I have, I'm, I'm less preoccupied on what is true and certainty and been leaving a lot more room for mystery. I love that. And that's helped me relax a lot about these things and helped me slow down mm-hmm. as I like continue because this isn't like really wrapped up for me. I'm still trying to figure, you know, I'm still, I probably always will be in the process of rebuilding my worldview and exp- and I'll probably change my mind a million times. A million more times, absolutely. <laughs> and, and the beauty is you can. Yeah, and learning that and learning that has been big. Learning that I can change my mind and that that's okay and that I'm not going to be punished eternally for it. At least I don't believe that anymore. Hey, if you are, we're all going with you. I'll see you there. (laughs) I'll be in good company. Yes. (laughs) What else are you doing now, Kayleen? You had mentioned the all stories, but that's on pause. Like, what are you doing right now that helps you take care of you, but also helps you take care of this part of yourself? I think really tapping into what do I value, what is important to me and understanding what my values are and finding ways to exercise that. So if I, you know, really do value, um, you know, friendships, how do I, like, how do I live in a meaningful way that shows that and expresses that? And if I do value my body and my health, and, and and exploring things from more of a broad point of view, if I really do value um, the LGBTQ community, how do I participate? Like, how do I advocate? Like, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing I do a lot is I do a lot of writing and I do a lot of reflecting. I love to journal. I've been an avid journaler since I was like 10 years old. I love that so much. I I envy that. I process a lot of things through writing and it helps me reflect and it helps me organize what feels often like a lot of chaos in my brain. Mm -hmm. And that's me, but I'm like talking at myself, (laughs) the wall or my cat or something. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah, constantly. Yeah. So I think I think that just and and I've really given myself, sincerely given myself permission to slow down. I have, I still continue to have books uh, that are about more like Christian theology or, um, you know, spiritual matters that 
I do get really, I do get overwhelmed and easily exhausted when I jump into that territory intellectually, unless I'm having a discussion with a bunch of people. And so I've given myself permission to go slow and that there's no rush and that um, I don't have, I don't have to have it all figured out in this moment. Mm -hmm. And I think what the, you know, I think giving myself permission to slow down and to be patient with myself and to allow myself to make mistakes and learn as I go has, has been a huge thing for me that I was not able to do 10 years ago. No, no. And I love that. I mean, welcome to your thirties, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm loving my thirties a lot more than my twenties in that way. And when I think of myself in my twenties, I'm just like, oh, I was just so, um, I was a chaotic individual in yeah. my 20s. Yes. A lot of internal chaos. <laughs> I feel I do feel a lot more at ease and a lot more secure in myself and a lot more Absolutely. at peace. There's positivity that comes with turning 30 everyone. It is mm-hmm. not the downfall of your young fun years, we promise. Yeah. It's very calm, I think for many people as you were saying in comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any words phrases, you know, anything of wisdom that you find yourself living by lately? One that comes up in my mind a lot is the phrase, hope is a discipline. And that was a phrase that I came across when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. And, you know, with how dark and scary the world is, I really do think hope is a discipline. Mm -hmm. And I think it can be really easy to lose hope. It can be really easy to feel hopeless. And I think about that a lot, that hope and joy are things that need to be cultivated. And and phrasing it that way to myself has helped me, I think, maintain hope and find joy and see that there's that those are really important things because without hope and without joy, we're going to get overwhelmed and not be a helpful part of the community anyway. Mm-hmm. And so having that discipline being really important. And so when I start seeing myself losing hope or if we're going into like a more of a dark place, I will remind myself that hope is a discipline and that joy is a discipline and try to think of ways that I can bring more hope and joy into my life and be really intentional about it. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that song. Uh, I don't know who it's sung by originally. I know Pentatonix covers it with Maren Morris, but the line from the song is, though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. Mm, ooh, I love that. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like you said, hope has to become a daily practice that you intentionally invite into your space because otherwise, if, I mean, what do we work on in therapy? What's a symptom of depression, right? Hopelessness. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something we ask people often about, particularly over the last three years, is that do you have a sense of hopelessness? Do you have a sense that things aren't going to get any better? Mm-hmm. And what kind of life is that? I mean, you we need it. Mm-hmm. We, it's been proven that if you lose hope, things can get pretty dark pretty fast. Right. And so hope is like a glass and it can shatter very quickly, but it should always come back. Mm. It's very hard to kill off for many people. Mm. I love that. Yeah. love that a lot. Well, good. Kayleen, it's been so nice to share, you know, get to talk with you and have you share more about this journey. You know, you and I have talked about, again, religious trauma and spiritual trauma in a professional setting, but we've ne- not necessarily gotten to have a more personal 
discussion about what it was like for you. And so I really appreciated that. And I am very thankful that you feel like you could share this with other people because you are definitely not alone. And I know you know that. And I can imagine there are many people out there that feel the same way you do about any religion that they were raised in. Yeah, I thank you. I think I also want to make sure I say this too. I was actually really lucky, I think, that I do have a lot of things that protected me from having a more traumatic experience from this. And the fact that my family wasn't evangelical and that I didn't feel like I had to be excommunicated from my Mm -hmm. family. The fact that I have a community that really stood by me throughout the whole roller coaster of it all. Um, But also like, you know, I'm cis and I'm straight. And, you know, I think queer people in the Christian community deal with a lot of spiritual trauma that I've never experienced and will not experience. And so I am really protected in a lot of ways. And I've started to see the ways that my experience has been, you know, potentially traumatic and psychologically harmful. But I also... I'm very aware of the different privileges I've had in it too. Right. And that it could have been significantly different or worse yes. if you had identified a different way. Yes. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Kayleen, thank you so much again. And we'll be sure to maybe link some resources or find some things that, you know, maybe people would find helpful or interesting. There's tons of podcasts out there about, you know, religious or spiritual trauma. If you're not familiar with um, Hillary McBride, you know, Kayleen and huge I are fan. huge fans. We both got to meet her in person. It's very exciting. Um, so she does a lot of work on this too and again it's I think there was something that Kayleen said earlier that you know we everyone just wants to belong Mm -hmm. somewhere and to have a community and so we understand why these communities exist but they can be potentially harmful when they force you to question the people that you love and care about yes yeah thank you so much Kayleen we're so glad you were here thank you thank you for listening to I've Been Better I'm your host, Susan Youngstead. Please be sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. And follow us on social media at I've Been Better.pod.